Thank you for downloading this podcast and welcome to Arrow Bandwidth, the podcast to help the channel better understand the trends, technologies and concepts that are facing the IT industry today. I'm your host, David Fern, and we hope you enjoy this Arrow production. And please subscribe. Thanks. Hi, and welcome to another Arrow Bandwidth. This is... Uh our 10th episode in the Yay. series. Let's have a party. Why not? Why not? Sounds good. Um, and uh, we are we're very, very lucky actually today. Well, obviously, other than the man to my right, Mr. Richard Holmes. Northern um, Presence. Yep. And myself. We are very, very lucky to be uh, in the presence of someone who really is trying to innovate and, and cut through um, the confusion and the chaos of, of big data specifically. Um, Chris from Nona. Chris, welcome to the show. Hey guys, yeah, thank you very welcome. much. Hey, uh, not a problem. Not a problem. So the uh, the title for this one, the title for this podcast specifically, is Big Data in the Wild. Um, because No Now have been doing some really interesting things, and I'm not going to spoil the thunder in the slightest, um, really interesting things, and uh, and we'd really like, and we think it'd be really interesting for you, the listener, to basically uh, get a bit of a an idea as to what an organization who is genuinely sort of innovating and doing something interesting uh, has been up to. So... Not necessarily sure where this conversation is going to go, but I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah. Awesome. So, Chris, without further ado, um, we normally start the podcast with a question, but I'm going to start it with a simple question of, where have you been today, Chris? <coughs> oh, really good question, David. <laughs> uh, so, I, I've had a brilliant day, and it started off um, not too well with an early early swap of train times. Um, so, maybe that's a, a bit of an excuse <laughs> of using data in the wild because you're having to go and... Go and change it, but after after our Vauxhall um, Vauxhall train fire that we managed to avoid, I I was uh, with Oliver Letwin, who's the Duchy of Lancaster, um, talking about our flood event model, which is um, very much a big data in the wild project because it's using natural environment data. So that, how wild is that? That is fantastic. And where exactly were you, so interested? So I was in Number Nine Downing Street, and um, I'll, I'll share with you a, a little picture I took this morning, and I sent it to my kids, uh, which is <laughs> I think it was the Downing Street cat outside Number Ten. Wow. So, so well, that's, wow. that's, that's got to be a bandwidth first. That's all I have, to say, all right. I have to say, bandwidth listeners, is there is absolutely no expense spared. There isn't. We try. There we isn't. Try. So uh, I, was, I was blown away by, by the security at Downing Street. Uh, very tight. You'll be pleased to know. Good. Good. Uh, good. <laughs> good. Uh, and uh, the reason we were, we were there is uh, No Now has been working with our partner, the SDFC, uh, Science Technology Facilities Council. We've got a very nice teraflop uh, supercomputer that's brilliant at crunching big data. And that's running a, a big insights cluster on a P-series um, for all you geeks out there. Um, one of the, the uh, challenges, though, with using any type of big data is you've got to have a business case for using it. Um, yeah. So we won, uh, No Now won in 2014, a big data competition on a, on a paper that I wrote called Whether You Do, Whether You Don't. On the, and there's a play on the weather, as you can swap the spelling yeah. around. With the idea being is that surely if you knew what weather was coming in, you should be able to do something about it, mm. especially when we were seeing ministers... Sitting in sit, sitting in floody puddles with wellies on, going, "Oh, we must do something to about this bloody rain." <laughs> Somerset, <laughs> Yorkshire, Cumbria—we've yeah. seen it all over the place, haven't we? We, we have, we have. And Hampshire, where we where we were based in 2014, um, had water coming out of places that it never experienced in living memory. Bear in mind that's our living memory. But if you looked at the signpost, the clue was in the name because it was places called Watery Lane, for example. <laughs> um, 
Anyhow, a lot of rain fell, a lot of water came along. Uh, there was a million pound overtime bill. Sadly, a couple of people lost their lives. And I yeah. just thought all of this was stoppable. Surely we can be smarter than in our information-driven age. Can't we use the weather forecast, current saturation points, to understand where weather's going to impact a road yeah. and then say close the road stop people going there yeah. and if you do that you don't need to rescue anyone you do that you don't save a hell of a lot of money you save a huge amount of money mm. oh <laughs> and the person doesn't have their car written off they don't have a chance of losing their life um and everyone carries along yes with a little bit of pain because of reroutes but yeah. you don't waste money and and today we had a brilliant session with mr letwin in that he said he would help us unblock the reasons why organizations need to do this. And it comes down to a really simple thing. If you give someone a predictive, proactive bit of information, at the moment, they often just sit on it and go, well, that's really interesting. And then they see the situation that you predicted actually occur. <laughs> go, oh, wow, they were right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think they call that hitting the fan. Um, <laughs> that's the polite way of putting it. Yeah. Uh, Thank you very much. <laughs> we avoided that one. Uh, so what you actually want to do is you actually want to create what's called a new operational procedure to say that when something has happened based on the prediction, mm -hmm. you're going to invoke this new way of doing it. The new way is a lot cheaper than the old way, and the gap in between is your business case. That business case pays for your technology, your business transformation, your yeah. data storage, your ongoing nurturing and data management. The other thing that it does is now because you're in a, in a – I'm now in improvement mode – and because you bank the improvement from your first year, you're going to want a similar improvement next year. So yeah. do you know what you actually start? Six Sigma, Lean, all these great 80s buzzwords. <laughs> They're all coming back um, along with I'm the haircuts. I'm getting a cold sweat here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. With a perma be back as well. So yeah, don't, don't with worry. a bit of luck. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need it. Uh, neither does David. So no. we're all right. <laughs> um, so the, I think the message is, is whatever you're doing with big data... Um, don't worry about the data or the processing because we've got technology now that can deal with that. We can collect data, we can process data. Yeah. It, it's more about what you're going to do with it. What's the answer or the outcome that you're looking to drive? And then it becomes a simple choice of, do I have enough outcome benefit to pay for all the sexy engineering that yeah. I need to create that? Yeah. Uh, and, and again, that's really flexible because you can have different flavors of uh, what we call the Vs in big data, your veracity, your velocity, um, volume, the volume. Yeah. Any others that we want to throw out there? There are. I, I always generally go with three, but I think there's about five. Yeah. Um, but they're the most important three. And and so if you if you don't want as an up to date number being generated, don't mm -hmm. run your big data set that often. You'll save some processing mm -hmm. time. Yeah. Run it on a shared instance, not dedicated. If you can get away with it, use free data, not paid for data. Absolutely. That may mean that you don't get quite a tight answer, but if in the world of probability, you're saying. Look, will you get out of bed and do something different if I give you an 80% probability mm. it happened or a 90%? At what point in time are you going to stop doing something different? And you'll probably find there's a, once you get to a certain point, you can only go so fast anyhow. So only give them the number that they can react to. It's a really good point. It, it opens up, though, this, this, what could be an alien concept of close is good enough. Well, yeah, it's, and, yeah. <laughs> and the other thing you've got to look at is where are all the buckets of benefit? Yeah. Because often this is about risk so who is going to now risk is an insurance thing mm. and and it's really hard to justify well why should i pay for insurance i didn't i didn't have an incident last year but you pay for your insurance because yep. it's a just in case so what we need to be smarter on is is giving the risk guys a better business benefit statement on the balance sheet and saying 
look, this is worth two points of my share price. Yeah. If my share price is X, that's a couple of wow. million quid that I now want given to me because I'm making sure that doesn't happen. We don't have those conversations in finance because yeah. we don't have the evidence. And what we're doing is we're creating the evidence for a, a more holistic view. But unless you understand what is happening in your data, so you've got to have a subject matter expert, you need some domain expertise, and you need a holistic conversation that says, all right, I need some money off of all you guys, maybe these five buckets, because all of us are going to benefit from this one activity. So joined up thinking, joined up accountability, pots of buckets that everyone can pile into and mm. benefit from and shout about and say, this is worthwhile. And um, when you put it that way, is it fair to say, you know, with where you've been this morning, you start to get nodding heads? You do, yeah. you do. And <clears throat> so one of the things that Letwin pointed out is saying, you're a commercial organisation, this has got commercial success attached to it, but recognising that uh, government has a role to play in uh, making the success easier to consume. Mm. So where our ambition is, is we want to run a national model. That's going to cost about a million pounds. So we actually went in, that's probably why we got, got the meeting. <laughs> Please, can you give me a million quid? I actually thought success factors today would be a check for a million quid. Um, <laughs> I guess it didn't work, so we didn't get the check. That's a shame. <laughs> it would have been good. I'm off to the Bahamas. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Good night. Oh, no, they're not a tax haven anymore. Damn. Oh, heck. Damn, the Isle of Man then. Um, <coughs> so... But what he actually is able to do is to say, right, I'm going to go and phone this particular target customer, which happens to be a, a fire and rescue service, and say, why aren't you using it? You've got to save some money. This will save you some money. Why aren't you using it? He's not promising that yeah. they will, but it's putting the question saying, look, guys, make the join happen. And what we need is a bit of help to subsidize the business proof of concept, because we've proven the technology. Our proof of concept yeah. that we that we ran in 2015 generated a statistically proven predictive engine for flood events up to 94% accuracy. Wow. So it did what it said on the tin. It does what wow. it says on the tin. But go back to my, Perth, my earlier point. Can you take advantage of this wild big data? <clears throat> well, you can if you've got the operational process that says, yeah. oh, in two days' time, I've got to go and do something different. At yeah. the moment, they don't have that two-day... I'm going to do something different. Mm -hmm. At the moment, it's let's just let it hit the fan. Yeah. Yeah. Bit sad, really. But hopefully we can unblock this and we can move on and we'll get, get mm. some traction. And the idea is one fire and rescue service says, yeah, I'm getting some benefit at this price point. Bear in mind, we think we've got a 10 to 1 payment ratio. Remember, the overtime bill for Hampshire was a million pounds. Good that me. million pound doesn't exist. Yeah. If you send out a fire, fire truck, 10 grand off the bat. Immediately, as soon as it leaves the fire station, wow. 10 grand. But this is where the subject matter expert piece comes in. Exactly. Understanding that means you can address it and you can do something about it. And exactly. So what we need to do is run an exercise. Says, right, I'm going to give you some information and one half of the county, you're going to be dumb. One third of the county, you're going to be <laughs> smart. And the other one, you're going to do something completely different, a little bit off key. And we'll measure the difference. We'll have a placebo, we'll have uh, an active change and we'll have a non-change agent. And then we'll see all the benefits. So we'll validate that using the data is giving wow. you a business benefit. And that's the bit that we're hopefully going to get sponsorship for as a result of what we had today. Brilliant. Sell that. Now, the beauty of this is everyone's going, oh, if you can give us a data stream, and once it's set up and that data stream's there, you just go, well, it's that much. But yeah. until you've got that critical mass, and then we know we can mm. do crossovers in this industry once it's been proven, and once people have seen the new operational procedure and they get some benefit and it's easy to consume, it's a great user experience, yep. 
we predict that we've got crossover opportunities in other utilities, other regulated asset industries, Absolutely. so water, critical national infrastructure. It's exportable to Europe. Everybody's um, got weather. Everyone's got weather. Yeah. And look at what's happening in Alberta. A whole town had to be evacuated. So is there correlations in open data, if it exists? Because this is the killer. <laughs> We're using open data on doing stuff with fire. Yeah and instant risk. Now, fire is often triggered by a bunch of climatic events. So, yeah, you probably could. Mm, yeah. It's about just understanding. And so the steps you go through are give yourself a question, what's the outcome? Create a hypothesis, find the hypothesis, correlate it, generate a threshold for what would be good to do and go do something different to achieve my new outcome, cost it, and then if all the numbers add up positive, you've got yourself a project. Fantastic. Go do. That's just brilliant. And I must admit, um, so we uh, we did a, a 101 two episodes ago of Big Data. And I'm feeling and it was very, very light. Well, now. I must admit, <laughs> and I promise you, promise you listeners, we have not sort of paid Chris to say it, but we literally banged on about a thousand times that the outcome was the single most important thing of any Big Data project. Yeah. Um, and you've just come and, and, and said, outcome was the most important thing job done let's just so yeah. shut the series down now thank it you doesn't very much. get much better than yeah. this yeah so go, on. go go for it no 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 you right. go so i was just gonna say um one of the other things we spoke about was um you know big data is, is one thing to one person and one thing to another now, to you guys it's pretty big big data to another person it could be a very small amount of data but 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 to them it's very big and it's a but you know, so so to quantify big data is very difficult. But I said, for me, one of the single most interesting things to quantify big data is talking about using multiple diverse data sources yeah. to create a much more valuable, enriched outcome. I like, I like, I like your, I like your version. If you focus big data on the size, oh, it, I've got a gig, is that big? I remember it could when be I massive. I remember <laughs> when I started in my IT career, which is now almost twenty years. So it's not that long, but it's still fairly long. Mm. Um, we used to be worried about um, where you would place data on a disk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or no sectors. Wo no word of a lie. Um, you'd work with your DBA, and we were getting stressed at records measured in K, let alone meg. Wow. Let alone gig. If we had data growth measured in gig, we used to have we used to have hissy fits. Um, Incredible. Like the 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 it's not about volume. It's about as you said. It's getting those diverse data sets because it's about taking <coughs> data set A, data set B, C, D, and E, putting find, them together, the collaborations, and then going, what does that tell me? And then yeah. how do I visualize it? How do I interact with it? Absolutely. And one of the things that we've been playing, so we've been playing around with some stuff with. Um, Watson Analytics, which isn't Watson, but is actually <laughs> analytics. Um, good old IBM's marketing. Yay. <laughs> uh, but what that's told us is um, crap in, crap out. So, but you've got to ask good, um, have good column headers that describe how your information is labeled. Yep. Keep your information simple within a column. Um, and then what you actually get more benefit from when you're using that tool is the actual interaction and drilling down because you found something particularly interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which means that when you traditionally consume big data, it's all about, uh, give me a PowerPoint, show me the graph, it sits on a shelf and I forget about it until I get the compare till next time. <laughs> yeah. And I go, ooh, the graph's growing. 
Um, and you go, well, that's really exciting, but what does it mean? There's never any context. Whereas mm. this interaction, in it, it, you're, oh. you're, you're fiddling with it and you're going, oh, let's go and have it. It's a bit like when you first looked at Wikipedia, you'd spend three hours and go, oh, sh- <laughs> um, <laughs> you have to edit that one. Um, that's our first beep. <laughs> hey! <laughs> um, yeah, so you, you, you just kind of lose track of time because mm. it is so fascinating how you go down these little rabbit holes, but it's giving you that holistic mm. picture and asking you to understand what's going on. So we were doing a piece of work with Portsmouth University on Wi-Fi data. Why? It wasn't to track people. It's about asset utilisation. So there's a, there's a gap between the timetable is created based on the previous year's students. Mm. The timetable that is actually generated for students is based on what students sign up for. There is a disconnect between what students want in one year to what students get given. <laughs> and I argue that's been around for a lot of years. Yeah, and then, but there is a kudos problem where lecturers want the biggest room and the more big rooms you have, the higher up the food chain in academia you may sit. It's kudos. Big Crazy. lecture room, lots of students. Yeah, yeah. Now, the student from when we went yep. a few years ago, it's all changed because we didn't pay nine grand. So when you're paying nine grand a year as a student, you expect top talent yep. to be teaching you. That's very true. Yep. Top talent sees and goes, well, if I'm going to be teaching, I need the big room. Now, the fact is, is that students <laughs> don't necessarily follow that. And so what you have is uh, empty big rooms with top talent that think that they should be there because they are top talent, but the room's empty. You've got smaller rooms heavily utilised with maybe top talent in it, um, but you want to put lots of people in the big room and remove the small amount of people. So it's about asset utilisation. Yeah. The other thing that they, the university does is a huge energy consumer. And we can tell that on... Monday mornings, the amount of lectures is uh, a third of what they are on a Tuesday morning. Yeah. Mm. On Wednesday afternoon, the university shuts down. Still. Sports. Sports. I remember. I remember those Sports. days. Yeah, it still yeah. goes on. Here's the thing, unless you went to the blinking computer campus and then they basically got beaten up by the sports people and made you go to all lectures in the afternoons. I never um, beat up a computer geek. I no, have to say that now. No, see, I, was, I did a social science degree, so I was in the pub no, on Wednesday. I did computer yeah, science. You picked the right so was, route. Yeah. yeah, I did, yeah. It was, I actually had to give up my rugby career at university for my degree. That anyway, we digress. That is appalling. That is terrible, isn't it? That, that was a life decision you... you, you <laughs> <laughs> Look at you now. I know, I know. <laughs> you could have been it's an not awesome rugby player. I know I could Instead have been. Just an awesome CTO. Hey. hey. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. So sorry, we sorry, digress. Yes. So, so what you're trying to say is basically understanding more about how universities utilised can help you to essentially retain and understand student movement and things like that. <laughs> Absolutely. But it all comes back down to what's the answer you're looking for. Yeah. So the answer we were looking for for that example was I want to prove that I've got good cause correlation between asset utilisation, the timetable, and my energy profile. There are gaps. Those gaps that we identify drive money savings. Those money savings pay for this analysis. Yeah. It's crazy Um, because it's taking it to another level, isn't it? It's like, yeah, businesses. And we have the same thing. You will get a... (coughs) I say we get because it doesn't happen here. But I'm sure in certain big businesses, you will get an exec or a VP booking a meeting room out. And I'll I'll have that meeting room. I'll have it every week uh, because I'm normally in the office on a Thursday. And, you know, because, because of sort of like, you know, the the location pressures on on the road, they might not be there every week. So all of a sudden, you've got your full suite of meeting rooms, fully booked up, uh, but actually the practicality is 
only half of them yeah. are actually being utilised. So it's not just academia. <coughs> you, you can take something that like that and go, well, the asset doesn't have to be the yeah. most prestigious right. lecture room. It can be anything. Yeah. So, so what? one of the things we did as a freebie for the university is we <laughs> did a prediction based on what happened before. We started predicting how full the room would be in the next wow. week. And do you know how right we were? Go on. Spot on. Because wow. people are in their group. <laughs> we walking said, around like some sort of Gandalf. Yeah, it's, it, you know, it is just, you know, we said, look, there'll be 26 people. Between 26 and 28 people, there was 27. Wow. In that, in that lecture. Now, you could say, well, of course there was, but you don't know that everyone's going to turn up. There's 35 people registered on the course. Yeah. Um, it's a 30-seat room. Ooh. So the space That's is incredible. tight, yeah. you know. So it, it, that one came out tight because it's a highly utilised room. Mm. So then what we want to do is say, okay, let's do it across the whole campus. Let's start working with your new timetable before you start producing it next year. And let's start working with your energy plan. So of one bit of analysis, we're getting three business benefits, of which only one was the question that we had to go and answer. But it all Amazing. started off with the outcome. Let's get the data. Mm. But also let's work with the data on an ongoing basis. Yeah. Don't leave it static. <coughs> you got to love your data. So the messages I would have, think of your outcome, love your data. Love that, love your data. Love I, your data and, like and, and understand yeah. it and understand and the I, answer. I think there's another thing though, love your data, but also um, don't be afraid to go and look at the, the sort of outside the box data. And that's one of the things I always find. So we were talking about an example that we actually had got involved in um, a little while ago we were trying to, and we spoke about this in the last podcast, we won't go into too much detail now, but basically um, we had a retailer who came to us and said, getting these odd spikes and, and, and sort of peaks and troughs in my sales data cannot correlate it to mm. anything that we have access to. Mm. So, you know, staff were, were, there wasn't any staff changes, there wasn't any um, weather wasn't affecting them. So we said, okay, we'll look at it. So we started to look at things like traffic data and roadworks and things yeah. like that. It turned out there's a whole bunch of roadworks just down the road. Yeah. So obviously they can't do anything about the roadworks. <coughs> so what we said to them was, okay, well, how about you put less people in the store on those days? Hmm. And all of a sudden they can make cost savings because yeah. they've got less people in the store mm -hmm. um, running the place on days when there's going to be roadworks on these major roads. Top and it's just simple, simple things that, you know, it takes someone externally i think to come into that organization and say and this is where it's, it's amazing listening to yourself because you've come into a load of organizations where they have incredibly stagnant views of what their organization is yeah. what their organization should be mm -hmm. what sort of data that organization should be consuming to enrich other bits of that organization whereas actually the answer is there isn't really a good answer it's just go and look <coughs> outside the box go and look at different things go and explore experiment don't be sort of bound by the ties of what your organisation was. Yeah, and well, I would say you know you need you need to set out with with some idea of the goal. But I think what you've what you've showed there, Chris, is that actually more often than not, if you're prepared to take the steps that and take the approach that you've described, you probably actually get the goal that you want, and then a number of other. Returns, yeah, savings, but the goal, the leverages, goal. in addition. So actually, but the goal can be as simple as, I don't understand why this is occurring. Figure it out, yeah, and then you figure it out. There's the goal. Yeah, you're spot on both of you in that you're. It's about what's my hypothesis, and then going to test my hypothesis. Yeah. You still got a, a very methodical engineering-led activity to get an answer. Yes, but 
there's two things that are different now to the old world. One is the price point of IT is so cheap. You don't care. I don't care about cost when I'm coming up with designs. It's <laughs> something that you go, I'll worry about later. Whereas beforehand you go, I've always keeping a weather eye on it. Every component has yeah. it. Yeah. Everything's so cheap. You just, it it's just happens. Table yeah. um, the other thing is your smartphone. Because um, what this has done is it's made us, the citizen, much more part of the connected world. Yeah. We are a data stream. And the most important big data out there is about us and the context of us and the location and the thing that we want to do. Mm. And if you look at it, how brands and where society's going and how we're consuming things, it's all about experiences. And that experience yeah. needs a lot of data. It's going to be personalized. Yeah. So then your, your gizmo, the experience and the shift in how you consume, are, are saying you've got to use data to provide to, to get that repeat custom. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah you've got some security and data protection But then there's still issues. a lot you can do with anonymized data as well. There is a massive amount you can do with anonymized yeah. data. But I'd always, <clears throat> and this is my bugbear with maybe the, the telcos, is that they're still trying to push a, oh, we can tell you what happened in, in the previous 24 hours from yeah. our base stations, and yeah. we give you a very rich picture down to a, a five-minute slice. But there's no business benefit versus the price of that data set because it's no. a single data set it's happened it's it, happened it, it, you're, it's you're right richard it's gone what's it's done. more important is can you give me an instantaneous view about what's happening in my cluster maybe at an anonymized layer so i've got a shopping area yeah, yeah. um that's why i'd always push places with our other hat on and smart cities designers own your own digital infrastructure then you own the data that's coming off of it mm, yeah um yes employ a specialist to run and manage it but you own the asset yeah uh and the beauty of that is, is that you can then start positioning different experiences down to the context of the individual and their geography, their needs, their wants. Yeah. That experience will give you your repeat business, put smiles on people's faces, they'll tell other people, put a bummer on people's faces, and they will tell 10 times more people than yeah. they would if it was It's happy. funny you should say that, because I mean, as the voice gives it away, I live up north, and in, and in Leeds, we, we're starting to see that. The, the council has set up the Leeds data mill. So oh. Basically, they're owning their own data. They're they're not there, but you can see where they're taking yep. it. You know, it's, it's never mind having a, a little apps that tells me when I can what bit what colour bin I should be putting out so on what day. Yeah, it, the amount of data that they gather and they can put out there, it's it's gonna it's gonna make my life easier. Not just navigating around the city, but knowing what's on, where's on, how it's affected, what's changed by that. It's like, yeah, I I, I, I can take that leap. And Lee's Data Mill is a really good example of an ODI node doing some really yeah. cool stuff. Um, so our big data model, our flood event model that we were talking about earlier, mm -hmm. so we were using the Hampshire Hub, which is an ODI node for yeah. Hampshire. So we just quickly, ODI is? Open Data Institute. Yes. Brilliant. So the Open Data Institute set up by uh, Sir Nigel Shadbolt and Sir Tim Berners-Lee. Um, back in the early days of the coalition, um, they know Cameron. They said, hmm, austerity, we can unleash... Shed loads of benefit, but you've got to make your data open. Um, Cameron at the time went, that sounds like a good idea. Probably didn't understand the implications <laughs> of it. Luckily, uh, charged a guy called Francis Maud, who is now retired from government actively, but was a real champion in government office on forcing everyone to just publish data. Mm -hmm. Where the government, I think, made a, a bit of a, a foolish expectation is expecting that to earn money 
quicker yeah. because what they forgot to do was, uh, what's the problem I'm trying to solve? What's my outcome? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was a supply-led, let's go and push all this data out and you innovative people, go go do something There's with some it. CSV files. Yeah. Now then, um, pay me. What was good though, and this is where the UK's ahead of the game, is that open data is going to subtly change how we have a discourse and use evidence to drive what happens next. Yeah. It's going to change our relationship with our politicians. What our politicians don't know is that um, this is going to happen. And the reason I say this with some confidence is that um, on the way back from a client engagement, uh, sitting next to me on the plane uh, was a guy called Trevor uh, from the city of Bendigo. And he's their chief data officer. And he was going to a conference, in an open data conference in, in the UK, in Bristol. Oh, Bristol, yeah. Which is my favourite, one of my favourite cities. Come on, Bristol. Um, hey. Sorry. That's all right. Great rugby team. Um, we'll get promoted this year. Come on. Um, so <laughs> You wish. It will. It will happen. <laughs> it will happen. Um, <clears throat> see London Irish go past us. <laughs> um, the, uh, the, thing, the thing that uh, Trevor explained, though, is that uh, the city of Bendigo... Um, Back in the mid back in the mid noughties around 2005, was in the lowest 10% of places to live in Australia, and the city burgers thought we're going to do something revolutionary. So they created what they call open data. It, so this was this didn't even exist when they started doing it. This concept of open data, they just mm. freed up the data and said we're going to use evidence-based decision making. What that led to over a period of around um, six to eight years was that Bendigo went from the bottom 10% to the top 10% and saw a massive increase in inward direct investment um, because they were able to present a series of cases because the data was saying about here's how poor we are here's how uh, poorly we are in terms of our health outcomes yeah. here's how dim we are because our education's crap and everyone just went here's our money build stuff do stuff yeah create an environment and all of a sudden it became a compelling place to live all of a sudden though the citizens started going oh but i don't like that decision and they're going, oh, well, let's just try and bury it. No, 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 the data's there. So the city burgers now went, oh, hold on, this open data thing that's given us all this wealth and this foreign direct, yeah. this direct investment, put us at 10%, is now causing me pain because I'm being tripped <laughs> up by my own stupidity because I didn't know what I'd unleashed. Um, but the city resisted and said, no, actually, we're going to stay as we are. Yeah. Um, we have got this. It's just one of the consequences. Mm. We're changing the political discourse. So you, the politician now has a different conversation with the citizenship to keep their job, which is about, you see these numbers, they're here. I'm going to do this stuff, and it's going to make that number go to this one. Do you like that story? And they're going, oh, yeah, I like that, and I can see the evidence. Yeah, and that's I, and, awesome. And if, you, if I get to that number, you're going to vote for me again. Yeah, of course I will. Yeah. A different discourse. So you remove yeah. the lying. You remove the BS. You're using facts to build joined-up thinking. Oh, and you're thinking of your outcomes. We lie. Love Good it. story of using data. City hey. of Bendigo. Check it out. That's a really... I mean, this is the thing. Fascinating stories. And I, this is where big data is going to continue to take us and continue to evolve every single sphere of our lives. Yep, um, absolutely. But e even, even if you don't see it personally in, in your own lives today, you know, it, it'll be happening to you. You just, you mm. just won't be awake to <coughs> But as do you as have a club card? A club card? I, I don't because I don't like being. All right, you're smart. Do you have a club card? No, I don't. You're smart as well. So everyone that's got a club card, okay, you've been a victim of big data already. Yep. Oh yeah, 100%. absolutely. And interestingly, one of the most advanced big data systems in the world that could literally turn around a an understanding of you by the time you scanned your club card to the time you got to the end and it printed off a customized customized receipt. I remember going to my mum once and she was like, 
printed off a, a receipt saying, oh, 10% off this next time you shop. And she was like, wow, do you know what? I was thinking about buying that. Yeah. Oh, I've got well, 10% off next time. You're like, oh. There is, a, there is a well-known online bookstore that is looking at sending you things that you've not yet ordered because yeah. it will predict hey. that you will want it. That's a conversation for another podcast. That's not I, I heard. So, so another thing I don't have is a Facebook account. Ooh. Now, <laughs> I'm laughing. Did I agree. You hear that there, there was a story recently, and I, um, I'm yet to figure out the exact truth of this, but it Go was on. on one of my favorite podcasts, and I believe that they do their research very well. But basically, this guy had been sort of talking actively on Facebook about uh, lots of symptoms he had and how he wasn't feeling great and all these sorts of things. Anyway, Facebook started marketing, and this was in America, so this is mm. Facebook yep. started mar- marketing multiple sclerosis medication to him. He then got rather upset with this, um, but long and short, turned out he That's had right. multiple sclerosis, and he and Facebook predicted it based on what he was telling and talking to yep. his network of people about himself yep. before he. So there have been similar stories with teenage pregnancies. Yeah, and teenage. Like that. Yeah, about you know, what, uh, what she was buying, and yeah, that was it's crazy. Walmart, or I think the Target, one uh, of those. But was, long uh, and yes, short, it's um, well, incredible. Google predicted uh, the flu outbreak last winter yeah and it was tracking several days ahead of the cdc in well, atlanta where it, it, because it was analyzing so it was analyzing the exactly. so everyone just goes i'm That's feeling crazy. rubbish i'm feeling uh, it yeah. can start yeah the, the, the truth is these are the goliaths of our of our world going forward and the truth is that we either get on board or we go back get our caves our paintings and and Start rubbing two sticks together. But oh, we become data geeks. <coughs> oh, well, so, as I said, love your data, but it was interesting what you said around you don't, neither of you have Facebook accounts um, yet. Uh, so th- there's some interesting conundrums there. One is that um, so much of the brand experience that people will want to fo- foist on you, they mm. will look at your social media and say, yeah. Yeah. well, how can we possibly give you, because you you, you're a one-dimensional <laughs> person, because you don't have social media. The other thing that we're seeing is that social media, uh, for all its failings uh, and, and humans' innate laziness, we're using it as um, as our crook almost to say, oh, if you've got a great social media profile, you, you can't be a charlatan. You must be okay. Yeah. Um, and uh, that gives me warning bells because it's not what you're done or doing, it's what you're saying now that seems to count more. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, So where's the doability and viability in that peer review? Um, We're in a really dangerous world if we Mm. start losing that professionalism because of something I might pontificate on. Really dangerous. Really dangerous. And and on that bombshell, Chris, seriously, it's been absolute pleasure. Brilliant conversation. Really good. Very interesting. Please come again soon. Bring Dave next time as well. Yeah, we will. Yeah. Bring Pato. Thank Ho- you very much. Hopefully, he'll be able to get the train. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, no, thank you so much. Really, really appreciate it. And Cue the uh, round of applause. Cue the round of applause. Thank you very much. That's the first, brilliant. I think that's the first round of applause we've had on bandwidth. First live. First live, yes. First yeah. live round of applause. Yeah. Nice yeah. one. But thank you Cheers very guys. much. Thank you very yeah, much. Brilliant. Appreciate as per normal, that. my producer today has been Hannah Jenny. My co-host has been Mr. Richard Holmes. Hey. I'm David Fern. And we will see you next week. Thank you very much. Cheers, Chris. Cheers. Bye. Bye, everyone.